enemies, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k podcast about improving your skills and abilities in the game in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me as always Shaylin Allen, our good podcast host. Yeah. But unfortunately, we are missing our evil podcast host as he is up in the great wintry north this week. Something about Vox interference and weather. Yeah. So we're going to have to manage by without him, but we can we can probably struggle through. <laughs> I have faith. Do you? Is it, it faith and fury, maybe? Bray Knights just have faith. Oh, okay. No fury. I have fury if I need to. Do you really want that? I mean, sometimes. Not right now, I suspect. Probably not right now. Having read over the, the FAQ and kind of been looking back to what GW has been doing over the past well, call it a year, year and a half or so, uh, I was kind of struck by something interesting. Mm? The way they're approaching a lot of the questions in the FAQ, which is actually very different from what they have done in some of the previous editions, which, you know, you've obviously played through, so you've probably seen some of as well. (laughs) They're, for lack of a better term, patching holes, rather than trying to use it as a way to necessarily like balance the game at all times because obviously they are doing some of that but a lot of the faq questions this time around were essentially just like frequently asked questions they weren't changing rules they were clarifying the way particular rules interacted yeah i mean this is a very very complicated game so it's unsurprising that there's rules interactions that are really out of left field and weird I really do appreciate it, except as a Grey Knight player, I noticed that they are very, very slow to do anything for my faction at all. Yeah, that's that's a whole other topic that we've gone into before. I, I've actually asked about the 2-plus invuln since before the first FAQ dropped of 8th. Yeah, it's been an issue for quite a while. Whether that was intended or whether that was an accident, apparently at this point it is an accident and they don't intend to leave it around. Which, to be honest, they're getting rid of 2-up invulns everywhere in the game. Two up invulns that you can use CP to re-roll explicitly. They're leaving the Archon one around. Right, because it's its own kind of like weird conditional thing. Yeah. But they're kind of streamlining down a lot of the the non-fun things there. But they're also just doing a really good job of making it clear how they intend particular rules to work. Like the Overwatch with the really big Titanic vehicles and guard was just a little unclear. Like, can you keep Overwatching if you get tagged? And the answer is no. And that one is actually a change, because you obviously could before. But there were lots of things that were not changes that they just sort of said, like, oh, but by the way, this is how this works. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like piling into a unit that hasn't fought in combat yet with one of the, the end-of-phase stratagems. Yeah, and I like the designer commentary in there because it's really obvious now, like, even though you can technically still make a three a two-up in will happen in Grey Knights, you probably shouldn't because that's not their intention there. It's the sort of thing that will likely get flagged as like, oh yeah, they're going to get rid of that next. Now, once they realize it's still there. Yeah. And I agree very much that the commentary is super helpful because it explains their rationale behind things and it prevents a lot of the kind of like internet speculation about, like, well, I bet they wanted to do this. It's like, no, they they tell you what they wanted. 
uh, intention makes thing everything more clear, and that's why I try to play with it the best I can. So yeah. I appreciate they're writing their rules with the same perspective. It, it's very nice to see, and it's a huge difference from the way that they handled things in 6th and 7th edition. We don't talk about those editions anymore for a good reason. Yes. So, speaking of the new edition and its boogeymen, this week we have the start of a new series that we think is going to be of interest to a lot of people, the List Archetype series. Yeah. In this particular series, we are going to be grinding down very common archetypes, explaining how they work, their strengths, and then how to defeat them and their weaknesses and faults. Yeah. Because there's no such thing as a perfect list at the end of the day. Absolutely not. Every list can be beaten. But we want people to understand not just how to beat them and and what makes them good, but why they win and, and why the armies function the way they do. Because it's all well and good to say that you can beat an army, but if you know why the army works, then that helps you beat that army and other armies. Hence my studying. Exactly. Uh, so, this week, we are going to be picking up the first of the series with the Flyer Spam archetype. It is a list that is getting a lot of attention as of late. Certainly not one that is new to the scene, as it's been around basically since 8th edition started. For those of you who remember all the way back in the Halcyon days of Index play, mm-hmm. it was one of the first list archetypes that people stumbled upon, is the multiple Storm Ravens, Hemlocks, and stuff like that, uh, and got some nerfs almost right away. Yeah, and I've seen you take to tournaments a lot. I have been running this almost since the beginning of 8th edition. In fact, the Eldar version and a couple different iterations at quite a few different tournaments of varying sizes. I've actually played it at both of the BAOs of 8th edition. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a list that we're familiar with and a list that has had enough endurance to stick around. Let's kind of get into what it's all about. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to guess that a huge component of this list that makes it unique is the fact they have vehicles with the flyer keyword in it. You are in fact correct. That's basically the kind of the fundamental part of the list. Yay, I win the obvious points today. Yes. We're going to be talking specifically about the Eldar version here, because it is the most prevalent and typically the most powerful. But it's worth remembering that there are other versions of this list that use some of the Imperial Guard or Space Marine flyers. They have many of the same strengths and weaknesses, although obviously a little bit different because they're different chassis. Yes. There are a lot of them that are powerful enough that you should be at least vaguely concerned about what they do. So, the typical version of the list that you'll see is running somewhere north of four flyers, generally. I think if it's three or fewer, it doesn't really count as a flyer spam list. It's just kind of some flyers in a list. I would argue the Space Marine versions running about three flyers is kind of where they cap at for points reasons. Yeah, the Space Marine ones are, they're more expensive. You're usually seeing the big gunships, either the Storm Raven earlier in the edition or uh, more recently, the Fire Raptor was being used. Um, Although, since it's got its points jump, I don't think you really see them very much anymore. But they're all going to run at least three, because anything less than that is definitely not qualifying. And I would argue you really need four or more to really fit into this archetype as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, some amount of things to hold the ground, as flyers cannot hold objectives. But... They are still models, with all the stipulations involved in that, and for the various non-rulebook missions, 
they do qualify for things like line breaker, recon, stuff like that. So they can't hold objectives, but they can score objectives. The other thing to consider is they also count for the purposes of deep strikers. Yes. They can be your on-table models for Deep Strike, although you do have to be careful with that because, you know, you count your tabling at the top of each turn. Yep. Well, you can get tabled before your Deep Strikers come in if you're on the bottom of the turn. Because you can't be tabled turn one, but you can be tabled at the start of turn two. And any turn after. Yes. I haven't Uh, been tabled that way yet. It's actually fairly difficult to happen, but it is something you need to be cognizant of. Yes, I play ahead and don't let that happen to myself as part of the trick. It's a good plan. So let's talk about what it is that makes this list really strong. I think if you are pointing out the strengths of flyers, then the first one, and especially for Eldar flyers, you have to look at their speed and maneuverability. Mm-hmm. It is just off the charts. They have a minimum move of 20 and can go 65 or more if they advance. That allows them to just basically go anywhere they want on the table. So for context of that, that means that even if you're in the hammer and anvil deployment, the short edges one where you can really get back away from your opponent, they can be in your face anyways. Yes. Table's Uh, only 72 inches long. Yes. The flyers will get to you no matter what. You are not getting away from them. And more than just the raw movement, it is the ability to kind of juggle about the table. The Elder Flyers have what used to be called Vector Dancer and is now just part of their movement rule, where not only do they get to make a 90-degree turn before they move, they also make an additional one after they move. Yep. This will allow them to just kind of like zigzag back and forth on a single point if they want, uh, because they turn 90, go in a direction, turn 90 back the way they came, and then come their next turn, they make the other final 90 to complete the 180 and go back to exactly where they started and repeat the process. Yep. They can just essentially hover in the backfield or jump back and forth between two points all they want. And it means that it's essentially impossible to crash them by forcing them to move that 20 inches and you know not have a place to land. Many flyers do suffer from that problem if they don't have the hover rule. Eldar flyers don't have hover, but they will just sort of turn and go wherever they want. Yep. It's also very important to remember how fast and maneuverable they are because it means they can kind of just get line of sight to anything they want. Short of being inside a magic box, you are not going to be able to consistently escape an Eldar Flyer's reach. Their guns do vary in range a little bit. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we talk about the specific flyers, but they typically are going to be able to sort of reach out and hit whatever they want from any angle they want. And this means you have to be very careful with things like characters, because if you just put a character behind some other models, they'll just fly right over those other models and shoot you from behind and kill your character. It's called flyer sniping. Yes. I have done it. And I have watched opponents be really sad about it. Yes. Don't let this happen to you. Yeah. You really need that character to be inside, you know, surrounded by other models. And even that isn't always necessarily enough because they can just shoot those other models. So you have to be really careful about your positioning of characters and other important things against a a flyer army. Yes. Actually, this is probably a good point. Why don't we talk a little bit about the major flyers in the Eldar army that you tend to see? Because there's basically three of them. I can name two. Okay. Shaywin, why don't you kind of go off on us? Because you are you play at it from the other side, so it's actually very interesting to hear your perspective on this. All right. These are the two ICU takes, so these are the ones I know. Yep. 
We've got the Hemlock Wraithfinder, often an Exarch. These ones are Psychers. They have Flamers, which means when they're degraded, they don't care. Yep. They're shorter range than the other ones, but that doesn't matter because, again, they don't care if they're degraded. It's about 16 inches on their guns, so still pretty long. They hit like a freight train, which I yes. hate, of course. Um, and then you have the Crimson Hunters, which just put out bullets for days. Yes. To elaborate a little bit on that, as Shaylin says, the Hemlock Wraithfighter is a Psyker. It gets all of the Warlock powers, but only the debuff versions. Uh, so you're most commonly seeing stuff like Jinx for the minus one save, or Restrain to have a unit's movement value, stuff like that. Also Smites. And the fact that it can also do a Smite, because it has a full power Smite, is quite strong. Mm -hmm. It also has an aura of minus two leadership within 12 inches of it, which can just make things very awkward for Space Marines and other models that don't normally have to worry too much about leadership. Yep. And as mentioned, it has a pair of D3-shot Flamers, which are very high strength and AP and two damage per hit. You're causing 2d3 auto hits on whatever target you want, just really ruining the day of most vehicles and hard targets, and especially giving things like Primaris and Terminators a bad time. Oh yeah. The Crimson Hunter Exarch, you always see the Exarch version. There is technically a regular one. No one ever uses it. It's not really worth it. Hmm. I won't go into why here. Almost always armed with the Star Cannons on the side, which are the multi-shot strength 3 guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Pulse Laser in the middle, which is a multi-shot damage 3 weapon, sort of like a LAS cannon. It also rerolls ones to hit. It has a much longer range, as Shaylin said, that it can hang back and take better advantage of that ally talk because it doesn't need to get wet close to you. Also, all of these flyers are assuredly ally talk, which means if they're over 12 inches away from you, enjoy minus two to hit base. Yes. And that is, in fact, one of the main strengths of this army, is that it is just very, very hard to hurt. Because if you want to shoot at it, you're probably going to be at minus two, maybe even minus three, because you're minus one innately, and then if you're outside of 12 inches, that's another minus one, and then they can use the stratagem lightning fast reflexes for yet another minus one. So you're probably going to be minus two on all of your shooting against this army. For a lot of the shooting armies out there, that's just backbreaking. Town Imperial Guard just fall to pieces when they're at minus two to hit on everything. Oh, yeah. And even Space Marines, like hitting on fives, even if you've got some rerolls from Guillemin, is not a very good place to be. No, because Guillemin doesn't let you reroll your fours or threes in that situation, because those effectively hit before modifiers. Yes. It is worth noting that Abaddon and Call both allow you to re-roll those fours and threes, since they can re-roll any hit rolls, not just failed hit rolls. Mm -hmm. But most sources of re-rolls are only failed, and are not really going to get you a lot of mileage against these flyers. So playing a shooting war with them is often kind of a losing game, because they have a lot of really good high-strength firepower, and are pretty hard to shoot in return. And it's also worth remembering that because of their maneuverability, it's often just hard to be able to shoot at them on the first turn. You may just not be in rain. Mm -hmm. But then you add on the fact that because they are flyers, they can only be charged by things with fly, making them immune to most melee units in the game. Yeah. So you can't shoot them, and you can't assault them. What are you gonna do? They are incredibly difficult to remove, and while they may not have the best firepower around, there are certainly plenty of other units that hit harder than they do, they have the resilience to stay around and just not die as the game goes on. And if you have all your firepower still in action on turn four, that's big. 
Yeah. I was also going to add, they don't have a lot of wounds, but they have enough wounds to take a good, hard, heavy hit. They have over, like, 12 wounds. Well, you know what that means? It's like one last cannon hit, even the worst case scenario, they're still moving pretty much at full kilter. Yes. And the Hemlock even has the six-up feel-no-pain as well, so it's even a little bit tougher. Yeah. They do not go down easy. Three-up armor, no invuln, so that's something. It is just, it's very hard to bring them down almost no matter what you're doing, because guns with good rate of fire just can't get through that armor, and guns with high AP usually don't have enough shots to land very many of them. Yeah, and the other thing to know is they do have the fly keyword, so even if they do, like, get into assault and you just don't ding them hard enough, because they're, like, T6, right? They're T6, yes. Yeah, so even if you, like, got a unit of raptors in there to kind of smack them down, there's a good chance they survive, and then they just fly away. Yep, they just sort of drift away from anything that doesn't kill them, especially those hemlocks who degrade movement, but even in their very bottom tier, they can still advance and go 45 inches, which is almost always going to be enough, and Mm -hmm. they can still shoot their guns because their guns are assault, and their weapons hit automatically, so they don't care about losing ballistic skill, and their attacks go down, but you're a vehicle, so you don't care about your attacks. Nope. Doing any amount of damage to a hemlock that isn't 12 wounds is pointless. It just, it accomplishes absolutely nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. This is all very important because this this combination of resilience and firepower makes for an army that has a lot of options when it comes to alpha and beta striking. Yes. Um, If you go first against them, you probably don't do anything to them. You maybe shoot down one flyer if you're getting lucky. But at long ranges, with them being able to pop that extra minus one, like all your shootings at minus three when you try and focus on that one flyer to down it, you're you're not going to kill very much. Mm Mm-hmm. But if they go first, they can just kind of, like, jump up on you and cripple all your guns that can actually hurt you, which means that the army has very strong options for going both first and second. That's really huge. Mm-hmm. Aircraft and Titanic units do not benefit from prepared positions, so you can't hide your airplanes in a ditch anymore. That's actually probably preferred. It's a, a nice little touch. It's not going to drastically change things, but it does tilt the math a little bit. That said, take positions will still help all the rest of the army stay alive. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, you think about there are going to be somewhere between four and seven of these flyers on the table. They often usually bring the Dark Eldar Razor Wings as well. uh, Yes. Because that's very common. The Razor Wing is generally more of an anti-infantry gun. It's got the the pair of disintegrators with Strength 5, AP3, and then it has the Necrotoxin Missiles, which is the ones you use almost every turn, which is averaging six shots with wounding on a two-up against anything. Yeah. So that adds a lot more anti-infantry to the the list, which it's otherwise kind of lacking in. Um, Yeah. Don't always use that, but it is a pretty common sight in most of these lists. I will comment on the Dark Eldar Flyers. They are noticeably easier to kill than the Eldar ones, but they are probably the ones that are least on your problem. Depending on what kind of army you are, yeah. That's true. Um, Quite a bit easier to kill because they don't have the extra minus one from a lie talk, and they are only ten wounds instead of twelve. But they're still not easy because they have an invuln and they're still a flyer. Like, they're still not easy to get rid of. Yeah. And if you've kind of been, like, paying a little bit of attention there, you've probably noticed one of the things here, which is this army hits like a truck against anything with multiple wounds or good saves. Because the worst of its guns are AP3 and some of them are higher than that. Yeah. And... Everything, except for the poison on the Dark Eldar, does multiple damage. Mm-hmm. 
So you're just looking at enormous numbers of high AP, multi-damage shots pouring in, and then you support it with Doom and Guide and all the other usual Eldar shenanigans, plus the mortal wounds that you're putting out from those smites and all this other stuff. You got an army that just carves through tough targets like they weren't even there. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why this army did very well at LVO is because it could carve a Castellan to pieces and laugh. Yes, it is one of the armies that could plausibly kill the Castellan back when it was still sitting on a 3-up invuln. Now that it's only on a 4-up or worse, it becomes a lot easier from this for them to do. Mm-hmm. So it is just sort of like smashing through. And if you feel like, well, it's okay, I took two Onegger Dunecrawlers and they'll just shoot those planes down. Not if they get first turn, you won't, because at least one of those dune crawlers is going to vanish in a puff of smoke, and it's very plausible that it kills both of them. And all of your typical anti-tank solutions are just not going to be very effective on them, especially, you know, you look at, like, Guard or Tau, and it's just like, oh, your Riptide hits on sixes, huh? Not going to do the job. I'm also going to throw out there that because they're psychers, they even have enough psychic defense that if you're trying to smite it down, it doesn't always work the way you like. No, it's it's definitely not as easy as you might assume from other things, because they'll typically have somewhere between four and six denies in a list like that, and that's a lot to chew through. Mm-hmm. So, Shaylin had mentioned something earlier that I think is a really good point to talk on, and that's movement control. Yes. Can I elaborate, please? No, absolutely. Go ahead. All right. Even with the FAQ on the new rules concerning aircraft and where you can put your models in regards to them, you can't physically put them on their base. can't end on the base, specifically. Yes, you can move through it, but you can't move on it. And that's a really big distinction, because those bases are not small. They're not, and the fact that they can rotate their base after they finish moving means they have a lot of control over their exact positioning there. Yes. So that is something that can be inconvenient in the sense of like, I have to go around it because I'm going to finish my movement in the base. Yes. Uh, Especially for kind of slower units, things like your typical infantry that are only moving like five or six inches. Or for very large units, even if they are fast, even something like Hormigons that can can move eight inches, if there's 30 of them, you're probably not going to get all 30 across the base. Exactly. You're going to have to play stringing games and the like. Yes. So... Even though they have limited their ability to control movement somewhat, they haven't eliminated it. It's still definitely there. Yes. Another very important thing to remember, and this is something that not a lot of people have picked up on yet, but are going to realize more, you cannot charge through their bases. Because the flyer rules note that while you are allowed to pass over the unit while moving through it, When you do so, you cannot finish that movement within one inches of any units. Mm -hmm. And if you can't finish within one inch of any units, you can't complete a legal charge. Ah, yeah. So, do be aware that you can move over from the movement phase, and you can use pile-ins and stuff like that to move past them, but you cannot declare a charge that passes over their base, unless you have the fly rule, obviously. Then you don't need their rules, you can just pass over them normally. Yes. Because fly rules now allow you to pass over intervening models. Yes. Movement control, we talk about controlling your your enemy's movement and decisions a lot in this show, because that's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, It can't be understated how critical that is to the functionality of the list, because they need to be able to make sure that you aren't able to go to the objectives you want to, that you can't take the field positions you want to, and you can't get close to the targets you want to. Yes, and the threat range on these things is absurd. 
Yes. That ability to dictate where your list can go and what you can do is extremely powerful. They can't use it in every matchup. There are matchups where they need to be more careful with it, and they can't just sit right in your face. Mm -hmm. But just that ability to dictate the field, especially against units like knights that have trouble getting through small gaps and are kind of awkward to move around anyways. Oh, yeah. It's very, very powerful. If you've ever seen a gallant spend like four turns trying to flounder its way through some flyers, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I will also point out that uh, ITC is very fond of these just two-inch thick walls that are about four inches tall to hide units from knights. Yep. Well, flyers love those because they can just move over them, they can move around them, they can pit things up against the side of them. Aren't we fun? Yes. They have that flexibility of movement to just sort of do whatever they want a lot of the time, and they can use it to pin things in place and trap them or force them down awkward movement lanes and stuff like that. It's a very powerful tool, and you cannot underestimate how effective that makes the list in the hands of a good player, which we'll talk a little bit more about in the second half of the episode here. Yeah. But before we get to that, I have one final thing that I think we really need to talk about here, and that is secondaries. Ah, yes, because against Eldar, picking secondaries is already a pain in the butt. Yes, and you might look at uh, a list with these, like, seven flyers and possibly some wave serpents and stuff like this and say, well, oh, that's not that much of a problem. I can just take Mark for Death and Big Game Hunter, and that'll get me my eight points easy. Can you kill that many flyers because they're resilient little buggers? Yes, it is you may have things that you can choose that will get you those points, but you're going to actually struggle to get those points because very few lists are going to be able to kill the full eight units by the end of the game. That is just a very optimistic set of circumstances. It's not impossible. Some lists can do it, but you usually are not going to be able to. No. And because they have movement control, they're going to make doing things like getting recon and whatnot a lot harder for you. Mm-hmm. Even if you have units that redeploy, the flyers block a lot of redeploy. Mm -hmm. I have multiple times against Sean just basically not been able to get to his backfield to kill his boots on the ground because his flyers were in the way. Yep. They they get in the way of not just the movement, but also deep striking and things like that. They are still models. So they you know you can't come in within nine inches of them for the most part. Mm-hmm. And you then add to that the fact that the flyers are not only going to be able to seek out and kill just about anything in your list that you have, because they can move wherever they want and they can shoot anything they want, but they also are going to easily be able to score objectives like recon or behind enemy lines and things like that. It means that a flyer list is often playing up by four points on secondaries. Yeah. It is very, very easy for them to score a full 12 against virtually anything, whereas not very many lists are easily going to get a 12 on them. Yeah. I think you can see from all of this why Flyers are such an incredibly powerful list. They have a lot of really intimidating strengths, a lot of things that, when used correctly, can just break the back of an enemy list almost without trying. But they're not unkillable, because I've seen them crash and burn. Speaking of crashing and burning... Did you light the cantina on fire again? You can't prove that it was me. <laughs> There's no security camera footage that survived the fire. I guaranteed it. <laughs> so, we should go speak with our quartermaster about that, and we will catch you all in just a moment.
oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Let me tell you about this amazing tournament I went to last year. It was the Boardroom Brawl GT in Grand Forks, Canada. This year, they're doing it again, August 3rd and 4th. It includes a post-game barbecue on Saturday, which is the best social thing ever. Also, fantastic terrain that is just super cool and kooky and engaging. And some of the most finest players you will ever meet. Totally worth the trip to Canada for. Please go, guys. They're Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th, and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin. See, what did I tell you? It, it, they couldn't prove anything. I have gotten yet another honorable discharge. It makes <laughs> like five or six now, I think. I don't know. I keep them up pinned on the wall somewhere. Except that the that psyker over there is looking at you pretty funny. I think you might be getting an inquisitional interrogation next. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> you fool. So... In the first half of the episode, we talked a lot about the strengths of the list. In the second half here, we're going to go over a little bit of how do you deal with it? Uh, and how does the list fail? Because it does have its weaknesses. Oh, it definitely does. Very first thing I've noticed is flyers are actually really hard to play because you need to be playing two to three turns in advance with their movement. Even Eldar flyers require this. You very much do. And this is a misconception I've seen from a lot of people, is that they say that the Eldar list is very autopilot. It's like, oh, you just move your flyers around and kill everything and you win. And that'll do okay against a, a bad player who doesn't really know what they're doing. And against some lists that just don't have the tools to deal with you at all, that'll work just fine. Yes. Um, but there are many kinds of lists that require a lot more careful play. Stuff like Gene Stealer Colts or other reserve-based lists. Mm-hmm. If you move incorrectly, you will lose. You cannot leave them avenues to come in from reserves and just assault all your stuff. Yep. You have to, as Shay said, like, you need to be playing the game that happens two turns from now. Because it's like, okay, my flyer's going to move over here, and my other units will move up here behind it and get shielded by the flyers, but they have to move into this specific position because next turn, when the flyers are forced to move 20 inches... I'm going to need my units to be over here because that's as far as they can get. Exactly. This is a list that if you're not looking ahead and setting up for the next turn and the turn after that, you will burn. Yes. Um, and you'll do okay against some lists, but then you'll just, you'll find that one guy who is bringing the, the Deep Striking Blight Lord Terminators or the Gene Stealers or whatever they may be. Just an inconvenient unit of Orc Boys gets yeah. jumped into your backfield. Absolutely. 
And that is actually another significant thing, that um, hordes can be a big issue for this list, because it doesn't have that many shots. No, this is all about quality shots. This is not about anti-infantry shots. And yeah, you got the three Dark Eldar flyers, but those are the easiest ones to kill. Yep. And as part of that, we have mentioned boots on the ground already. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who are not aware, that's the whole flyers don't count towards not being tabled thing. If you lose all of the non-flyers in the list, you lose. Uh, you're just going down at that point. This definitely can happen, depending on how you have balanced your units. For, like, the seven-flyer version, which is kind of the most extreme version, it is very risky. You are putting a lot of eggs into that one basket. Yeah, you, you are hitting hard, comma, if you slip up, you're doomed. Yes. It's as if you cast doom on yourself. And there are different versions of this that kind of use different ways to try and deal with these weaknesses. I, I've seen one a lot. It's called Wave Serpents. Yes, Wave Serpents do help as they are a very resilient unit and very mobile, so they can keep up with the flyers, but also at the same time are not going to just like die if someone decides to start shooting at them. A note about Wave Serpents is they reduce one of the damage pips on them, so like shooting plasma at them is completely unhelpful. Yes, uh, it drops two damage down to one, and most of the anti-tank guns these days are two damage. So they're basically taking half damage from all of that. The Um, additional fact about them is, again, they're a Lytox, so minus two to hit. Only minus one natively. Uh Um, They can build up to minus two if they use lightning reflexes Uh. or some special equipment and whatnot. But they only start at minus one because they don't have the innate minus one that the flyers do. Gotcha. Still, minus one damage and minus one to hit is... Actually, very, very difficult to break through on a 13-wound model. That's a fast little annoying bugger that can also check out mortal wounds because it's annoying. Yes. We're not going to talk about all the other possible options in the list. There are a lot of them. If you've seen Eldar, it is typical Eldar stuff for the most part. Oh, yeah. But it is worth noting that you can win the game just by killing those units. Yep. Sometimes feasible, sometimes not. It depends a lot on what else you're dealing with. But if you can clear those units out by focusing on them, that can be a viable path to victory. Yep. Uh, There is a Chapter Tactics episode in which Sean describes getting Swarmlord cannoned to death. Yep. It's definitely a thing. And speaking of, that is something that is worth noting, that you can pass through their bases. That means if you have those fast-moving units like Gene Stealers or any of the other, you know, bikes and stuff like that, they can just zoom right past those flyers and jump on all the juicy stuff behind them. Yep. That can be very, very dangerous for the Eldar player, because they typically just don't have that much stuff in their list that is on the ground. And it might seem like three wave serpents and a handful of infantry is a lot to deal with when you're getting bombarded by flyers, but if you jump on them turn one and, like, double fight with your gene stealers and just kill two wave serpents, suddenly it looks a lot more doable. Yes, and that keeps all his flyers in his backfield, which is good for you. You know, if they can even stay in the backfield, they do still have to move 20 inches. Yeah. But that brings us to another important point of the list, is for lists that can't do that and just can't just, like, dive through things, because you've got to be able to get rid of all their characters and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can kill all the wave serpents and all the troops and all of that, and that's great, but if all they have is, like, a Farseer and an Autark who are just hanging around holding one objective, you still don't win. Yeah. And they may just table you before you can do anything about it if you've been putting all your effort on killing their other stuff. Yes. So you need to think about which of the flyers are dangerous to you. Exactly. So there's two general classes of flyer. You have the Dark Eldar flyers that are the anti-infantry, and then you've got the we slam you with death 
quality shot flyers. Yes. So if you're a mechanized list, the quality shots are going to be more concerning to you. Absolutely. If you're heavy infantry list, those anti-infantry flyers are going to be your bigger problem. Yes, and especially horde lists are going to want to focus on downing the Dark Eldar ones. Even if you don't plan on doing any damage at all to the rest of them, the Dark Eldar ones are so much easier to kill that you'll often want to try and take them out first, just because they will really reduce the volume of shots you've got coming in, and a lot of gains you're going to win by holding the ground with infantry. Yep. And the Eldar ones just don't have the firepower to usually clean out a list entirely by the end of the game. But you may not always have the option to do that easily. Um, they will try and limit what you can shoot at and control your choices there. So know what the, the strengths and weaknesses of going after other ones. Hemlocks are the most dangerous of the flyers, but they're also the most resilient. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things just don't work against them. Even units that can assault them probably don't want to because of those auto-hitting flamers. Yes. Um, I have discovered one of my favorite things to do is jump out of a ruin. Yes, that can certainly help there. There are ways to avoid that overwatch. Just all the usual strategies that you can use there. But you may want to try and target a different one if you can. Um, the Hemlocks are typically way up close because they have much shorter range. If you have the option and the numbers are going to look fairly similar, you may want to go after the Crimson Hunters because they degrade and don't have the built-in 6-up no pain. Yes. Those can definitely kind of reduce your incoming firepower, whereas shooting at a Hemlock often does very little. It might set you up for a future turn, but doesn't do anything at all this turn. Yes. Smiting is actually a decent way to get about it if yes. you somehow win the psychic game. And even if they are able to deny you, because they're going to get some denies regardless, it doesn't guarantee that the denies are necessarily going to work, just that they are going to be able to attempt denies. Mm -hmm. But smite is very effective because it does bypass their two hit penalties, it is not a melee attack, so it doesn't have to worry about that, and it goes right through to their wound count, which is not particularly high. If you look at that list kind of like, summed up in total, it only has about 100 wounds, so if you're doing two per with smites, you're actually chipping away at it fairly fast, especially if you're a list like Thousand Suns that has lots of targeted smites and other effects like that. Yes, psychic attacks are rather effective. Another thing is flamers. Flamers do relatively well. Let's actually talk a little bit about the sort of the tools you would use to kill them, because obviously smites, useful. Mm -hmm. One of the other big ones is just stuff with very high innate accuracy. Models that hit on two-ups are not unheard of in this point in the game, mm -hmm. either because they have bonuses to hit or because they are natively ballistic skill two-up. Yes. So your Derrido Dreadnoughts or other high-accuracy platforms like that can actually do some decent work against them, because even though they have a minus two, that just pushes you down to four-ups. You Maybe you're probably getting reroll ones or something like that. That's, that's not terrible accuracy. No. Um, and their guns are heavy, so they will smack at it, and they will smack hard, and it will dislike this. Yes. Again, like, if you're getting past that minus two to hit, they're not particularly tough. They're pretty much just standard vehicle chassis at that point. That also applies for units that can ignore modifiers in some way. Uh, Space Wolves can do it. There are a couple of Forge World units that ignore mental penalties when shooting at flyers. Stuff like that can get by it and will do you quite a lot of work. And even though it is not full effectiveness, rerolls help. Yes. Um, especially if you're rerolling everything. That will make your guns, even if they're hitting on fives, at least somewhat effective. It may not be as nice as you like, but you can chip away at them. 
There are also some other guns, such as silencers do really well against them because they have a lot of shots and they do D3 damage when they go through. Yeah, it is sort of your, your any of your general anti-tank weapons have the potential to hurt them if you're getting them to be high enough accuracy. And that is usually your main detriment. There also are guns which are specifically built for shooting down airplanes. They typically have some sort of claws events, plus one to hit against targets with fly, minus one against targets that don't have fly. Yes. Um, those sort of guns can go a long ways towards mitigating any of the penalties that you are stacking up. And similarly, if you have some sort of stratagem or whatnot to give you plus one to hit, that can help a lot as well. Exactly. Additionally, there are some very fast moving fly keyword ground units such as custodies bikes yes that will screw these things up like no one's business yes your flying anti-air or your flying melee units can do a really good job of functioning as anti-air stuff like a smash captain custodies jet bikes or shield captains on bikes these are pretty good in the most cases at smashing things down now we're going to exclude just general units with fly because something like storm boys not actually very good at killing a flyer. Might pounce on it, might cause a few wounds, but, like, your 30 storm boys attacking the flyer is going to do, like, four wounds. That's not really enough. So, horde units that are sort of, like, smacking them with strength 4 AP 0, not what you want here. You're looking for the guys with thunder hammers and stuff like that. Yes. Because um, they are going to do some real work on these flyers, especially if they could ignore Overwatch, because that allows you to get in on those hemlocks without just being invalidated by a flamer. Yes. There are even things like Demon Princes or Magnus and stuff like that. Oh, Magnus screws up flyers so bad. He will do quite a number on them. So anything that hits hard with fly can potentially do some damage here. Now, you have to be careful because if you zoom your one dude in there and smash a flyer to pieces and feel super proud of yourself, then they're going to move the flyers past it and then shoot that guy you used to kill it. Yeah. And then he's dead. Trading one for one might come out ahead in points, but if you only have one unit who can do that, they're perfectly happy to trade one of their seven flyers for your only guy who can do that job. Yeah, so be careful. Yes, you, you've got to be aware of what sort of trades you're making when you're going in with melee, because unlike shooting, you often have to expose yourself when you're going in on a melee charge like that. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how you would actually beat this. Because, like, we've talked about killing the flyers, but that's not how you win the game. No. Uh, actually, you can't control the flyers' movements despite how fast they are. They have big bases and they can't land on you either. It's true. Especially the Dark Eldar ones who do not get the bonus turn the way the Craft World ones do. You can set yourself up by knowing what their turn radius is and what their minimum movement is and whatnot and set yourself up to control where they're able to go, and, and thus also their ranges, because their guns have reasonable range, but not infinite. Yes. Um, controlling their movement is certainly a thing, but also for the Eldar ones, because sometimes they just don't have a place to put themselves where they want to be. They might be able to theoretically shoot you from behind a building, but if you fill the whole backside of that building with infantry, they can't land back there and thus can't get the angle they want. Exactly. Um, that's how you defend your characters, is by putting annoying units in the back. Yes, and that can also apply to things like recon or other stuff like that as well, where you can you can control the field. Against the flyer list, you often will have the ability to control the field to some degree. They don't have a lot of models, and they kind of are dictated in how and where they can move, whereas yes. your models can kind of just 
you know, go wherever there is space for them to be. So you often can, to some degree, choose where things are going to happen at. Mm -hmm. You're going to need to do this because you're going to need to hold objectives. That is the number one way to beat the list is it doesn't hold objectives super well. Not particularly. Now, the caveat here is it's probably going to be killing more than you are going to be killing. So it's going to be up on that point. You probably can hold more than it, at least in the early turns of the game. That's a pretty easy guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to keep that up for the whole game because it's going to be killing more probably the whole game. That's and you have to kill worse. something or you're going to get that two-point swing that'll add up way too yes. fast against you. You need to kill at least one thing, and you really want to be getting the bonus point if you can manage it. Because this is where things get tricky. If they're killing more, they're killing more and more of your list every turn, you're going to run out of models eventually. Very few lists have the models to weather an entire game's worth of firepower from these guys if you're not doing significant damage to them. And this is where you have to be picking your targets very carefully, because you need to stem that bleeding. Yes, you can't ignore the flyers, which means Not you have entirely. to start you have to start addressing them on some level. Like yes. a few of them will die this game. You have to pick which ones and when and you have to do it fast and accurately. Yes, you're going to need to know what your target priority is on there. You're also going to have to have units that can get to where they need to be. Some lists just aren't fast enough to get out there and hold enough objectives. Yeah. Not with all these flyers clogging up the ground. And that's a problem. If you discover that you don't have the firepower and you don't have the movement, you're going to be in trouble against this list. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a list you're going to be seeing in the future here. So this is something you're going to need to look at. Is when you say, like, what happens if I face six flyers? Can I handle this? And some lists can't. Mm -hmm. um, it's a rough matchup, I won't lie. But... There are tools out there that can help you, and if you know you're looking forward to this, you're saying, like, okay, this is a thing that is probably going to happen at some point, you can plan out what your strategy is going to be and how you're going to handle it. Yes. Um, some missions are obviously easier than others, some deployments are easier than others. Mm -hmm. uh, but you need to kind of be ready for what this list can do and think about, because this is part of planning for your meta, is do I have the tools to handle this particular list? Also, it's pretty easy to proxy. You just need flyer-sized bases. Yep, anything with a big old base. So definitely get some practice games in with a friend if you've never faced this list before, because it can be really shocking what it can do. And there are some very good battle reports that you can watch with this. Mm -hmm. There's some stuff that came out of LVO, as well as a number of other tournaments where you can see this list being played, or variations on this list at the very least. Mm -hmm. So get get an idea for what it can do and have someone kind of like play it against you so you, you, you understand what's going on so that it's not a complete shock when this thing moves across the board and starts zapping you. Because that's not what you want. You don't want your learning the game to happen at a tournament. Yes. The uh, final thing I would say with kind of like wrapping a lot of this up against this list, we've talked a lot about what this list can do. But as we noted at the beginning of the second half here, these, that is assuming everything goes perfectly. Oh, yeah. Um, especially when playing against this list. And obviously this is true with every list, but especially with this list, you need to be looking for mistakes. Yes. Um, movement mistakes are the ones that they are going to really be punished for. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have reserve units or fast-moving units that can slip past things. If you don't have one of those two tools, 
you know, maybe you need to rethink things a little bit. Because both of those are great for wrecking a guy full of flyers. Uh, Sean has had Dreadnights in his backfield and was not very happy about that day. Nope. It's, uh, it's, if you start deep striking things in behind their flyer line, that is really bad times. They can't afford to have that happening for very long at all, which means they need to be, like, scooting to somewhere else and changing where, where all that is happening at. And for someone who isn't as experienced with this list, they may not know what they need to do to deal with that. And this is where having the experience can count for a lot is understanding, okay, where does he need to move, and if he doesn't move there, what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. So be looking for those gaps. It's like, where can I fit inside nine inches? Where can I move units to shoot at the things I want? As an exercise against this list, get yourself some flyer bases from something. I mean, like, freaking Dreadnights run on the bases, as do some of the Tyranid creatures. Well, a lot of creatures do these days. Yeah, and then you get yourself a nine-inch measuring stick, Set it on a 40k table with some terrain, set the flyers down in places that make sense, and start measuring where there are gaps. So you can start seeing them visually. Well, and I think as an exercise like that, placing the flyers down and then moving them. Yeah. I'm saying, like, okay, it's turn one, they go 20 inches forward, it's turn two, now they have to turn and do this. Will give you a better feeling for how flyers move and how they can be forced to move. Yes. Uh, For example, if they're all coming in on the right, so you shift your army to the right where they want to land, they have a problem. Yes. Or if you can shift to the left so that they have to move out of range, or whatever other system it may be that you need in that particular matchup. Understanding how they can turn and what they can do is very important. And if you haven't played with flyers, it's not necessarily intuitive to understand how that movement pattern works. I will say this for the Silly Grey Knight version of this list, Gate of Infinity is hilarious on flyers. Oh, yes. Because it means if they make a flying mistake or it's like, you flew your flyer there, there's no way to escape it. Teleport. Yep. <laughs> you, can, you can always blink your guy and you can change his orientation when you do it too, which is cute. Yes. It, it's uh, adorable. I do not recommend the Grey Knight flyer version. It's not very good, sadly. <laughs> like most things in the Grey Knight book. Uh, you can fill full of purifiers and it's okay-ish. It's cute. So, I think that basically wraps us up for talking about flyers. Hopefully, we've kind of outlined what it is people need to understand about the list and what it is it can do. If you have questions or you would like to talk with us more about your list or this list or something else entirely, you can email us. We are in the finest hour at gmail.com, and you can also be found on Facebook and in the finest hour, as well as on Patreon. And if you want to kick us a few bucks each month, Uh, We have a private Facebook group as well as a Discord chat that we've been using where all of us post stupid 40k memes and painting progress and lists we're working on and just sort of general nerd hobby talk. Oh yeah. So for five bucks a month you not only get access to that but you also get access to all of our special bonus episodes, the crosstalks, where we will bring on a guest and talk with them about sort of just some more casual subjects. Just Mm -hmm. So upcoming events... Uh, Shaylin doesn't have a lot on the docket, although we are going to be trying to run a Razor Valley here in Corvallis next month, I believe. Yeah, I've been talking to the venue and stuff. It's just basically like, we all fell out of the habit of doing it, so it's like, I have to keep knocking on the door till I get the guy pinned down. Yeah, so we'll probably have one of those coming up, but, uh, prior to that, I have Storm of Silence coming up this weekend. That'll be the 18th out in Spokane. 
Yep, and then after that's the big one. Yeah, week after that is BAO, uh, now a three-day event, which will be really interesting. They're using the full LVO format there. So maybe I'll I'll bring Flyer Spam to BAO three years running. <laughs> you are bringing the recorder and we are doing a hot take. I will pin your butt down. Yes, I, I mean, it. it's... It's not going to be hard to convince me to talk about 40k. Mm. Uh, I'm going to be down there. Uh, I'll be rooming with Jem Vessel and Pablo Martinez and a bunch of the other guys that I know. So we'll probably have a pretty cool time there, talk about some 40k, maybe even get them in on the episode and uh, chat a bit about how the, the tournament's going for all of them. Mm-hmm. And then the week after that, I'm going to be up in, uh, I believe, Bremerton, Washington for the Curs Was Right uh, GT, which is happening on the very start of June there. Excellent. I believe June 6th and 7th, uh, just the following weekend, is uh, there's a big one in Cleveland that you'll probably see Josh Death at. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's right there. I don't remember the name. Without Josh on the line, we don't know what all of his tournaments are, but we're probably going to be posting up a schedule so that we'll have a, a more easily accessible version of all this. Yes. So, I'd also like to say thanks to our sponsors. Dank Muse has provided all of our totally sweet and awesome music, and we really appreciate it. He does those intros and intermissions, so thank you very much to him. You can find him on either YouTube or Spotify. And Rylan Woodrow for doing our amazing art. You can find him at Art of Rylan Woodrow at Facebook. Uh, you can also find him on one of our Crosstalk episodes. Yes, we'll have him coming on pretty soon. And then uh, lastly, MindTakerMiniatures.org. They do some amazing buy and save training miniatures, and they've been very thankful to sponsor us. All right, listener questions. Listener questions. So one of the other benefits for being a patron is you can ask us questions, and we will answer them here on air. So we got a couple of these queued up for some of our folks. Can I, can I ask them? Oh, yeah. Why don't you start? Excellent. So Talon writes, How does one get away from their usual play style to grow as a player? Shailene, you want to talk about this one just briefly here? Because this is something you're trying to do a lot more. So the first thing I did was I did something that forced me to not play normally, and that was play a completely different army. I think that's a good place to start in a lot of cases. That You get, you get stuck into like, oh, I'm playing my usual army, and this is the way I build it every time, and it's very easy to just fall into that habit. And even if you try and change your list, you keep falling back into the stuff that works. But changing armies completely will force you to change that. Exactly. Another thing I do is uh, I will like offer just to swap lists with my opponent and just literally play his list as a change of pace. Or just basically be like, I'm going to bring you bad units on purpose because I'm playing narrative today. Mm-hmm. If you're just trying to change your habits and grow as a player, another really important thing can be identifying where your problems are at. If you can say oh, this skill is where I'm lacking, uh, perhaps by talking to your opponents and saying, like, what do you think I did well, what do you think I did poorly, then you can identify armies or playstyles or techniques that will help you to improve those things. Like playing a mechanized Eldar versus Flyer Spam Eldar. Yes. Or even something as simple as, like, well, you know, you're a good player, but you don't, your lists aren't very good. Then you can say, okay, well, so what I need to do is build more lists so I get better at doing that and talk to people who can help me improve them and I can see where my failings are. Yes. Shane writes, what do you think of the viability on scat bikes, which I will leave to Sean to answer since I don't play Eldar. Yeah, so Wind Riders with scatter lasers have been popping up a lot more recently. They hit really hard. 
I don't think they're bad at all. Uh, obviously, Alex Harrison's list took great advantage of them at LVL, but they do basically ask to have to eat up your Fire and Fade stratagem every turn, because if they're sitting out in the open, they're just dead. And yep. if there's not enough terrain for them to hide behind, or if the enemy can get to them despite terrain, those can also be really big problems. So they're absolutely something that you should consider Glass when you are putting a list together. Kind of, yeah. You should be looking at them as one of the options that's good enough to use, but I don't think you need to build a list around them. They're not that good. All right. Then Wagathane, I'm guessing here. I'm assuming. Sometimes people online talk about running Long Strike with XV8 bodyguards for a blade of wounds. Have you ever seen such a list work like that that plays well? Not really. Unfortunately, the answer to this one is pretty short. It's a gimmick. Long Strike is neat, but the bodyguards are too expensive and they don't do enough. Yeah. So Tau is coming into a lot of new builds. That's not one of them. That was kind of my impression, too. So, I think that wraps up our listener questions for this week. We'll be back next week with more questions, and we're going to be talking about tournament attendance tips. I got a lot of these. Yes. We, Che and I, have both been to lots of tournaments, so we have lots of things to t- teach people about ways to make it easier on yourself. Thank you for listening to Finest Hour. I have been your host, John Morgan. And Shailen Allen. Have a great day. 